everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 34, Playing Catch-Up, recorded yeah. January 8th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopi.com. And Seth couldn't even let me get through the intro before he had to say something. <laughs> We're that excited about being back. This is, this is the first live show we've done in uh, about three weeks. We uh, we took some time off. We pre-recorded some stuff. Of course, we didn't miss any episodes. You guys had one last week, but it's the first time we've seen each other for a while. So uh, we'll start. Happy with New you. Year. We'll start with you, Seth. Hey, Seth, how's it going? Hello, doing well. How's everyone? Good, good, good. Welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. And Mr. Aaron Butler, what's up, Aaron? I'm wearing my wife's robe. Is it cool? Woohoo! Is it a little chilly it's, in there? The question is, is are you wearing pants? I am. I'm wearing shorts actually. Okay. And that's the problem. I I just drank a quart of of uh iced tea that was very cold and it's chilly in my house and so now i am chilly so i needed some additional coverage hey chris That's tell chilly. us about chili you know about chili <laughs> well actually this year it's kind of I been it was a mild it's a mild winter this year for us i think we're at the average temperature has been around 30 lately i so think it, it was either quite Friday or Saturday, it was 74 degrees here. Yeah, it was Friday. Yeah, I was sweating at my in-laws' house over the last week, and which is near where Mark is. Yeah, and today it was uh, about 65 or so. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's cold suck. for us. It's freezing. I mean, it got down to 60 <laughs> in the 60s. We're we're dying. Let's see. Uh, right now, it's about 37 degrees up here in the Great North. Well, that's actually and, uh, a fairly warm evening, isn't it? Yeah, it's not too bad for this time of year. Usually, we're in the negative thirties by this time of year. Yeah, do you take a walk outside with your your shorts? I've been and walking. To, I've been walking to work every day at thirty-seven <laughs> degrees. You can thank Al Gore for that. That <laughs> weather, that new temperature thing. I would walk to work if it weren't thirty-seven miles one way. That that would be a bit of a long walk. That would be, but with me only being about a mile, it's pretty good. Yeah, see, if it was a mile, that would be a good excuse to get some exercise, get out and get some work done. I've been trying to get my kids to walk to school. It's about two miles, but for some reason, the seven-year-old just doesn't want to do it. It's only <laughs> going to get down to 50 tonight here, so this is FYI. And then we're, talk we're talking about the weather, guys. That's, <laughs> that's how exciting this show is. That's we're right. talking about the weather. We were that's all right. excited to be back, <laughs> and then we jumped immediately to the weather. The most that's universally it's usually so subject. cold up where I am. Yeah. That's a big and you guys like to make fun of me. Well, we have other things to make fun of you about. Hey, but you guys have made fun of me maybe not wearing pants this week, so I'm all right not with that. Not this week. Yes. Not so far. The, your time will come. Oh, oh okay. So, um, let's move right on. Uh, we had a momentous occasion happen over the holiday week with my son, Nathaniel Mark. He lost his first tooth. That's awesome. It was really exciting. He came in. <clears throat> I was actually... Uh, still in bed, hadn't, gotten, hadn't, quite, huh, hadn't quite got out of bed yet, and I heard him talking in there, and he came in, and he said, Dad, he, he was actually a little upset, and he said, I lost my tooth, and I, I said, did it hurt? He said, no, but I could see he was almost at, you know, in tears, and I said, why, why are you upset? It was my favorite tooth. <laughs> <laughs> I said, it was your favorite? Yes. Why? It just was. Can I take it to school Monday and show my friends? <laughs> did you let him? He, well, he actually oh, has school Tuesday, so okay. he will be taking it to school Tuesday to show his friends. My uh, seven-year-old is in that phase of losing teeth left and right, uh -huh. and uh, she has she has high expectations. She lost a tooth last week and said she hoped the tooth fairy would bring her twenty dollars. Now, <laughs> I don't know what what 
Ritz Hilton she's been living in for the last seven years of her life. But we around our house, the Tooth Fairy brings about a dollar on average, and that's like thirty. I mean, three hundred times what I used to get. I mean, I used to oh, get yeah. a dime or a quarter at most. Yep. Yeah, Nathaniel was Gavin got five dollars. I was like, you got a buck. Suck yeah. it up and enjoy it. <laughs> Wait, so he still has the tooth and the dollar? Yes, because he doesn't believe in the tooth fairy. Oh, and okay. so he, he put the tooth under his pillow. He got the dollar. And then he said, where'd my tooth go? <laughs> he, he didn't know it was going to be gone. Oh, okay. I, think, I thought it was like just a, he thought maybe it was a deposit or something. He put the tooth under there let him know to give you the dollar. And so we had to <laughs> give him the tooth back. Or actually, Cheryl has it so he can take it to school. It's in a, it's in a taped Ziploc bag so he can't take it out and terrorize the girls with it. <laughs> I don't think my uh – Either of my older daughters believe in the tooth fairy anymore, but they play along because they know once they stop believing, they'll stop getting the buck. Right. Um, but yeah, the one of my friend, uh, my daughter said the same thing. Is like so and so got ten dollars. I said so and so has a richer tooth fairy. That won't be <laughs> happening here. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure my oldest has has grown out of her belief in Santa, which is a little sad. But she's still playing along because she's not sure if she'll keep getting stuff if she admits. <laughs> That's, that's a good, a good that's life lesson to learn. <laughs> yeah. But she's nine this year. She'll be 10 next year. I, I don't think, I mean, the, the the challenge next year will be getting her to play along with the younger ones. Yeah. So speaking of Santa, do you guys get good stuff? Because clearly that's what Christmas is all about, about what you get, right? Um, uh, I, have, I got my last present actually when we got home. It was in the mail. It's the Captain America movie. Oh, that was a bad to... movie. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen it yet. I got it from Netflix. I mean, I, I saw it. I've, I've talked about it on the show that I saw it. I got it from Netflix and, and put it on, and both my wife and I didn't even finish it. It was like, this is really a bad movie. I'm just not going to watch the rest of it. I'm huh. shocked, Mark, because it's really good. Well, like it's it. really good as far as a comic book movie goes. As far as no, a real movie, movie, it's How far did you bad. get into it? Well, like I said, I've seen it uh, okay. uh, before. But this oh, that's sec- right, because you saw the freebie. Right. The second time, I made it... Uh, I made it to the rescue of the people from the the POW camp, and then I was. You like, let your wife uh, persuade you is what it is. No, she was a, she was asleep on the couch. She <laughs> wasn't saying a word. But at that point, I was like, you know, I'd rather be asleep too than watching this bad movie. <laughs> well, this doesn't change it doesn't change my enjoyment of any in the least bit. Just sad that you weren't able to enjoy it with me. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I'll have to give you guys my thoughts on it when I see it next. Because it's on my list of movies to watch. So, Chris, you got a Kindle before Christmas. You get anything after Christmas or at Christmas? No, that was about it. That was it. Um, yeah, I, I got the usual, you know, stuff from the kids, but nothing monstrous after that. <laughs> but uh, later on in the show, I'll, I'll give you my two-month review of it, so we anybody who's on the fence can either jump on or jump off. Speaking of stuff from the kids, my oldest daughter, um, have you seen Christmas Vacation? Yes, I think so. I know, I know, Seth and, and Aaron have because I've seen it with them. But it was just I was only asking Chris, uh, Chevy Chase. Um, oh yeah, Dan. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, who's the guy? Bro? Anyway, Randy. Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's a the character in there. Grandma. She says she's getting older and she doesn't have a lot of money, so she likes to pack things up and and call give them presents. One is a cat. Another's a Jello mold. Um, my my oldest daughter is like that. Her idea of gift giving is taking some crap she doesn't want anymore, putting it in a pretty bag, and handing it off. Today she went to a birthday party, 
And fortunately, my wife had come to the rescue and actually bought real presents from the kids to the other person. But <laughs> but Abby's gift bag contained, uh, and this is in her, her words, a ring that doesn't fit me, a necklace I didn't want anymore, and two pieces of gum that I lost the package to. That was her present. <laughs> she gave Nathaniel a picture frame when we were there. Yes. That yes. she had made. It was missing a few pieces, but it, yeah. it's functional. You know, and it's fine. She likes to make things for people, and I get that. I appreciate that. But the just gathering up random crap that she doesn't want anymore, I think we need to do something about that. Nip that in the bud. Well, isn't that re-gifting? Isn't that the whole point of that? Well, re-gifting is taking something still good and giving yeah, it to That's it. a gift you didn't want that you give to somebody else, right. not something you just had left leftovers. Some people call that throwing out the trash, but <laughs> yeah. uh, just saying. At the Cockrell household, it's called yeah. re what what about you, Seth? How was your Christmas? Oh, uh, it was pretty good. I really I didn't get anything, but uh, I enjoyed it. Just hanging out with uh, f- friends and family. That's that's what it's all about, really. That and the whole Jesus thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I I did a nice little eloquent minute and eleven second recording of that, so I can be dismissive of it now, right? Uh, right. No, but anyway, uh, my Christmas was good. It was mostly just time with the family and the new smoker, the new edition. How of the did family. the smoker go? I was going to ask. The smoker is awesome. Um, it uh, I have smoked everything I could throw in there at it, uh, and and it's put a copycat in America in there. Uh, no, I didn't, but I might. Uh, if I owned it, I would. But no, this was a Netflix copy. Um, but no, it's it's turned out really well. Um, I found a place uh, nearby that will ship me a whole pork belly. It should be here tomorrow. So uh, I'm looking forward to smoking my own bacon in the next few well couple of weeks. It's got a it's got a oh, cure for bacon. about uh, ten days to two weeks. You know, you're you're now going to be in an elite minority of people who have actually smoked their own side of bacon. Yeah, have you done? Has your your dad? You did it. Used to do it, right? My, my brother-in-law, brother-in-law does all the smoking. Yeah, I don't know if he's ever done a side of bacon or not. Um, I know he's in all kinds of goat ribs and all crazy kind of things. You never know, but I don't know about a whole side of bacon. I remember, probably. I remember when I was visiting you that time years ago. They you somebody had killed a wild boar, yep. and we had sausage and stuff made from it. I just mm-hmm. wondered if they'd done bacon. But yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I called a, a number of different butchers and, and like grocery store butchers and things like that. They all laughed at me and said, no, oh, I mean, you can buy bacon. <laughs> I, I swear, like four people said that exact phrase to me. You know you can buy bacon. <laughs> no, I'm not making. You can buy computers that are already put together, right. you know, guys. <laughs> you can buy hot rods, too, but it's more fun to make them, right? So I, I found this place not far from here. It's a family-owned butcher shop and uh, found them online, actually. And their history, they're about us, is they're basically just a family kind of like us. They all like making stuff, and they thought, well, we always have all this meat that we've made. We might as well sell it. So they became a butcher slash meat shop. So I called up, and the lady answered, and and, uh, I had gotten kind of adept at asking this question in a way that doesn't get me laughed at. And I said, do you have or can you get a whole uncured, uncooked side uh, pork belly or sometimes called side meat so that I can make my own bacon? And she said, well, sure, i got three of those in the freezer right now. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I said, can, I, uh, do I, can, I, can you ship them to me or do I need to come get them? She said, oh, we ship all the time. Sure, what, what's your address? I got all that. And then before I hung up, she said, well, happy bacon making. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So I found a kindred spirit in that. <laughs> what city is that in, if I can ask? McKinney, Texas. Oh, okay. It's, we, we drove through, uh, I, knew, I didn't think it was going to be the same city, but we stopped in Beeville, no, Belleville, not Beeville. Belleville on the way from Fort Worth to Houston at a little family meat market there. And I bought um, jalapeno, cheese, 
uh, summer sausage and another type of summer sausage that I can't remember now because we already ate it and it's gone. And uh, about a pound and a half of their thick, uh, peppered-edged, honey-glazed plugging artery with some, by smelling it bacon yeah. <laughs> and and a bag of beef jerky <clears throat> that's good so then because so then we got home and my same brother-in-law marcus mark that i was telling you about that likes to smoke i was saying uh bobby how hard is it to make beef jerky because i know you made it before he says not hard at all and i said okay because we're gonna probably buy a dehydrator because we love beef jerky and it's so expensive and he said well no. I, I said i can just make you make you some and i said really he said yeah so he went down and bought me Fifteen fifteen dollars uh, worth of whatever he, meat he uses to make his beef jerky. He took it back and sliced it, and over the week made me some beef jerky. Awesome! So I have two gallon bags <laughs> of beef jerky. It cost me fifteen dollars, and that's like seventy five dollars worth of beef jerky. Oh, at least at the convenience at store. Least. Yeah. Um, mm. But the thing is, the you know pork bellies they come in however big the pig was it's actually half a pork belly generally it's like a chicken breast is half a chicken breast so she said the smallest one i think we got back there is about 17 pounds is that going to be okay so uh, i'm going to cure it and it'll lose some water weight and that sort of thing but by the time it's all said and done i'm probably still going to have like 13 or 14 pounds of bacon um and so i may aaron disprove your theory that there's no such thing as extra bacon when i have 17 pounds of it all in one shot well there ain't no such thing as extra you put it in a dry freeze pack and you send it to me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> still an extra have seth over he'll take care of part of it yes yes, yes he will <clears throat> well chris all right enough about you your mic chris we can't hear you so we're we're three three bullet points into the warm-up that's right 13 <laughs> minutes in and our on our linux show we've talked 20 minutes yeah. about the weather and 45 minutes about bacon <laughs> and i haven't even said what the show's about uh this week uh is an uh, playing catch-up was the title we came up with like i said we recorded three uh previous episodes uh and so we, we couldn't really do a lot of timely news sort of stuff well this one is catching up on all the stuff that uh, that we missed before. There's not going to be any one topic, but just some interesting news articles and and things that we found interesting. Including so, bacon, including there we bacon. go. So my first one is sort of a uh, an announcement and a throwing my hands up in disgust, and that is Boxy, the uh, multi oh. the multimedia center tool that I love so much and have have sung the praise of so many times. Um, released on December 26th, the day after Christmas, they released a new version of Boxy for the PC, which has been months in coming. Along with that was a news release saying this is the last ever update for their software. They're not going to do it anymore. And with it, they have taken out uh, Netflix and Vudu and Pandora and pretty much any of the other stuff, and that's all premium content that you have to buy their boxy box to get. So essentially, they released an update and took a big old steaming dump on the open source community that helped them build it. Jeez. So they said, thanks, guys, for helping us build this product that we're now making money off of, but you're on your own now. See ya. They're not developing it anymore. They're not putting any more stuff into it. It's a dead project, and now they're working on their embedded BoxyBox uh, hardware device. So they're still well, going to make good. a box. It's just going to be a device you have to buy and pay for. And right. Well, BoxyBox is out there, and you can get right. it. Right. And they're, they're only going to offer that as well. Exactly. Saying. Exactly. Well, that's good for the people that buy the BoxyBox, but horrible for their community that helped build it. Exactly. So what a bunch of crap. So it is open source, and all the tools they did were open source. So somebody could take that project over and and 
you know, Come on, Chris. move on with it. But Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's the kind of project that really needs major backing and funding because it's such an esoteric sort of thing. And I'm just really frustrated um, with Boxy right now and, and probably I'm just going to have to go back to stock XBMC. But Boxy offers a lot of cool stuff over XBMC. And, and I found this out because my wife called me at work and said, I want to listen to Pandora. I can't find it on the new Boxy. I said, well, it should be on the home screen, but if not, just go into the apps and do a search for it. She couldn't find it. I came home. I couldn't find it. I started doing a search for it and found buried like nine posts deep on blog.boxy.tv, a one-paragraph statement saying, oh, by the way, we've screwed you and taken that stuff out of our new software, and we don't have any intention of ever putting it back. Thanks. Wow. Makes me really want to hurry up and finish building that media to him and see what that's got in it. Yes. Can you finish? Can you unupgrade it, Mark? I can't. I still have the original copy, and I, sh- I could do an uninstall and reinstall, I suppose. Um, and I, that's probably what I'll end up doing. But more than likely, I'm just going to abandon it. I don't plan to keep something that uh, didn't work that well. You know, was, I mean, there were bug fixes. There were reasons I was waiting for an update anyway. And I just I don't want to live with those bugs forever, knowing that they're never going to be fixed. Typical. Yeah. So have you used the straight up H, uh, XBMC before? I have that on my machine right now, and I go back and forth between the two because I don't. I have never figured out why, but sometimes a movie, let's say I'm watching Incredibles, Disney's movie, it'll play on the boxy. A week later, I'll go back; it doesn't play on the boxy, and then I go and I play it on XBMC, and it works fine. And then I'll find something that you know I'll be on XBMC for the next couple of weeks because that's just the app that's open. I'll find something like you know whatever. Um, Captain America. Ca- Captain America that doesn't play on XBMC. I close XBMC, open Boxy, and play. it plays just fine. It's not the file, but every now and then one or the, the other just decides not to play something. And so I keep them both on my computer. Very interesting. Yeah. Bizarre is what it is. Uh, it just seems so darn weird that, I mean, why can't I play this, you know, I have this media file. This DVD that I can put in any DVD player in the world, and it'll play. Well, in Region 1, and it'll play. Why can't I rip the, the thing and do the same thing? It's a standard MP4 with, with standard codecs. Why can't I play it anywhere? I but, experienced the same thing. I thought it was just me. <clears throat> Since I don't have XBMC installed, I actually ripped a movie, and it would play just in like Windows Media Player or whatever, but it wouldn't play in Boxy. And it was MP4, and it acted like it was fine. And I did that, and then I... I actually ripped it again, thinking something was just funky with it, and then it worked. Right. I did that for a long time. I kept a list of movies I need to re-rip, and then I thought, well, maybe they're getting corrupted or something, and then I tried playing them somewhere else, and they worked just fine, you know, and so I realized it wasn't the file. But yeah, I did that a couple of dozen times, re-ripping movies, thinking that the disc had been corrupted. I even bought a different hard drive to put them on, but Hmm. anyway. Curse you, Boxy. Yeah. Curse (laughs) you, Boxy. Uh, Chris, Symantec, what's going on there? Well, this is more uh, fairly recent news, but uh, there's a uh, the anonymous group in India has reported that they have stolen some of Symantec's source code for their antivirus solutions. So now the question is: is is that from what the release the the news article in the release from Symantec says is that it won't matter because all the stuff that it's that the source code that they stole is released or related to is old products. But now the question I wonder is if that's the case, 
what's that going to do for all the malware people out there? Are we going to start seeing code that kills semantic down to nothing like they already can do? Or is this going to make it 10 times worse? Especially all those people out there who haven't updated and are still running the older versions. Exactly. It's a little callous to say, oh, well, that's just old stuff. It doesn't count anymore. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I've been reading about that story. Uh, it's uh, it, it's fairly new. I mean, that was just what the the, the article I caught I, I pulled this from was on the sixth, January sixth. So it's fairly recent that they did this on. And it, according to the article, it wasn't Semantic Headquarters that got broken into. It was a third party developer that got tagged. So, but still, they got to keep that stuff under a little bit better lock and key. Yeah, they are a security company, right? They should be uh, good at that. Well, and they're also doing now um, VeriSign too. So, if they if they can be broken into that easily, even if it is a third party, that's just scary for anybody who's got VeriSign signatures. Yeah, yeah. It's we're going to have to fundamentally in the next five to ten years rethink the way we do security um, because these these break ins and these uh, key hacks and and it's not that the the Encryption is bad. Never. That has not been the case ever. It's the fact that the user policies are bad and the user practices are bad. But, uh, yeah, with, with DigiNotar and, and those sort of things, I really think we're going to have to totally redesign things in the next few years. Of course, oh, SOPA yeah. is probably going to fix all that anyway. Oh, God. <laughs> and the next on the list is, is something. It's just sort of a, a prediction, uh, an observation. Um, a quandary, I don't know what. But uh, my question is, is 2012 going to be the year of the small screen? And I talked about this on uh, a couple of our other shows uh, um, that were more current. Christmas weekend, that uh, Saturday and Sunday, 3.7 million Android devices were activated and almost 3 million iOS devices in, um, uh, in worldwide, not just the U.S., but worldwide, 6.7 million devices were activated in those two days. That's pretty amazing. That's wow. That's a wow thing there. Now, uh, I got to think a lot of those are upgrades, you know, people replacing phones. I don't think that's 6 million or almost 7 million new phones on the market. But still, that says to me that this is a major market. And I'm wondering if we might see the... the uh, the small screen, the tablet, the the phone, whatever, supplant the PC in this coming year, or maybe the television even. Well, I think it's a good. They'll have a good start, but that you know, not to be the uh, the dark side of the thought here, but that also means that all of your small devices are now a giant opening for malicious people to start attacking you at. Well, absolutely. That uh, that's going to be one of the. Uh, uh, biggest attack vectors in the future too, and the one that we're going to have to lock down and and secure. Well, I know that the uh, hardware companies will love it if it's the small screen because you know typically those will wear out faster, and you can't repair them or piecemeal upgrade them. You'll have to buy a new one, so they will like the fact that you're buying stuff on a uh, more frequent basis. I don't know that I agree that they wear out faster. I think that uh, people just get the upgrade urge more you know people don't run out and upgrade their refrigerators every year um they don't run out and upgrade their televisions every year but their phone or their tablet they seem to think they need a new one every year 
Well, and plus, they're not walking around dropping their refrigerator five and ten times a day either. So yeah. um, it's it's not that they wear out faster, but they're subject to more abuse than something that's not as portable. I, I dropped just, my microwave in the toilet the other day, and I had to find a really big jar to put it in rice, and that <laughs> took a while. <laughs> I have discovered that with my phone, uh, the absolute single best way to remove the protective case is to drop it. Because if you actually want to remove it and you're trying to pry at it, it takes forever. But if you drop it just one time, it flies off of there. So uh, that's the, the perfect removal technique for the protective case on my phone. <laughs> it's like a breakaway case. What it is. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. It's like the like the roll <laughs> so case the impact. NASCAR. Yeah. Uh, but- so, Mark, um, not to jump back to one of our other topics, but we have a question in the chat room about why don't you use Roku instead? Because I want a PC. I want to be able to look at my media in my way. Um, and a Roku, as I understand it, doesn't let you look at like local media. You can't plug a hard drive into it and go that way. I could be wrong, uh, but... And in and if that's the case, I don't think there's a way to like open up a network share and copy a drive onto it. So every time I wanted to do that, I have to disconnect the drive, take it over to my machine, my machine, put a new movie on it. And I don't really want a hardware device. If I did want a hardware device, I'd probably get the boxy box because I already know the software and I like it. Even though I'm pretty mad at the company right now, but I I want a PC because that gives you the full experience. I can open up a browser. And go watch Hulu if I want, even though Hulu doesn't want people to be doing that on their devices. So that's that's my reason. Any okay. comments on that? Um, nothing in the room yet. <laughs> Sorry, Miguel, I didn't realize that that was I missed that ten minutes ago. But uh, we're back to it. Uh, and one other thing about uh, the the year of the small screen. Um, this sort of made big news, but I don't really know why it did it shouldn't be big news but microsoft has released a new marketing campaign where they will pay uh store clerks 10 to 15 bucks a phone for every phone they sell so if you if customer comes in doesn't know what phone they want if you push them toward um a uh, a windows phone and they buy it you get a kickback now this is not new apple has been doing it uh, for years in AT&T stores, people who work in AT&T stores get a bonus for every iPhone they sell. Uh, but I just thought I'd mention it that Apple or Microsoft has gotten into that market, being that they sort of suck at marketing. They're uh, once again copying Apple <laughs> in their techniques. All right, no comment on that one. No, nope, not really. That's pretty much typical. Yeah. And I, there was some sort of, you know, a, a bit of internet outrage about it. Of course, there's internet outrage about anything. You know, pick a topic. Uh, internet outrage about the internet outrage. That's true. Yeah, there's <laughs> Sopa. So, yeah. General <laughs> sense of ennui on the internet. But anyway, um, uh, uh, I, I just thought it was an interesting thing that they're, they're – maybe it means that they're taking seriously this whole phone thing because to this point it kind of – certainly with Windows Mobile – they never seem to take it seriously. But with the new Windows Phone series, they seem to actually be caring and are actually putting some marketing dollars behind it. Well, at least they're actually giving Apple a run then. Yeah. I, I, I have used one Windows Phone phone for about 80 seconds. I was uh, standing in line at a mall around Christmas time last year, and there was a guy there that had one. 
And I said, and I could tell it was, you know, I saw the live tiles and I knew it was a different interface. I said, is that a Windows phone? He said, yeah. I said, do you mind if I poke at it? I'm, I'm just curious. And being a good geek, he was happy to hand it over and, and brag about the processor and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think it's a good OS, you know, from my minute and a half with it. But but definitely from all the specs I've seen and all the reports of it, it seems like a really good OS. They were just really late to the show. And we'll see if it takes off. Which is typical for Microsoft in general. Right. They come late and iterate slowly, but eventually they perfect it. Yeah, that, well, that's or they, what they abandon it. <laughs> that too. Um, yeah, that, that's what they did with Office. They started with a, they bought a crappy product and made it less crappy over time, and then made it the industry standard. So, or the Zune, where they jumped off the boat as soon as they could. Well, I think Zune has become Windows Phone. I think the, yeah. the similarities between those those systems cannot be overlooked. They just decided to abandon the standalone music player, which I think is a good idea. In fact, Apple has all but abandoned the standalone music player. They're still releasing them, but they're putting all their efforts into the iPad and the iPhone. And the pod. Not the pod, the touch. The touch, right. The touch well, just place the pod, right? Well, yeah. And I would say their the touch is uh, just their phone with the phone part stripped out of it. Right. So, and the iPad is that bigger. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah. They really only have one product. They, they have, have two versions. Tall, Vinte, and Grande. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, okay, Chris, this one you put in here: Nvidia open sources the CUDA compiler. I'm sure that means yes. something to you because it doesn't mean much to me. Well, if anyone has a CUDA-based uh, graphics card, that means. Uh, stuff like uh, folding at home or anything that you can um, actually tie to your process, your your graphics card processor, to because you know everyone knows that the graphics card has a bigger uh, can do move more math faster than a, pro- a CPU processor. So this is actually giving people coding APIs to work with the CUDA stuff without having to go through NVIDIA. So, like, uh, to quote the article a little bit here, it says, NVIDIA says they're opening source their CUDA compiler, enabling researchers and software vendors to more easily add GPU support for their programs and languages. So that means if I'm writing a video game, I can see how well it runs on an NVIDIA hardware without having to submit it to NVIDIA for review. Right. That and also, like, for Photoshop or GIMP or people like that, you could then tie your graphics card processor to your pro your program hmm. so it'll be interesting to see what happens now that this is completely or it's not completely out there but it's being released so it'll be interesting to see what happens to say gimp or any of those other open source uh, photo and video editors to see if they actually can start you know making you know uh, calls to the graphics card to do their com- their compiling all right. Any other comments on that, Aaron? You look riveted. I know I am. I'm just. <laughs> it's just the 920 mile drive yesterday is catching up with me. <laughs> I didn't put the the link in the notes because I couldn't find it. Uh, but as I was doing something else, there was an ancillary uh, something conversation or podcast or something where uh, the they were talking about how Mozilla Firefox has bloated to the point where you can no longer compile the 32-bit version in a 32-bit space because it takes so much RAM, it takes more than 32 bits of RAM to compile the 32-bit Mozilla code. 
See, I think you got that wrong, Mark. I think it was they put out new versions so fast that the 32-bit is not done compiling before the new version is out. (laughs) (laughs) But I just thought that was interesting that it's, uh, uh, you know, we all love Firefox here in this group, um, but some of us love Chrome more, and, and, and I'm still clinging to my Firefox. I remember Firefox back when it was a zip file. There wasn't even an installer. I just unzipped it and ran it. Uh, yep. It wasn't even called Firefox, and it was called something else. Uh, Firebird. Was that it, Firebird? Yep. And so I loved it and have loved it. And uh, I like the idea of the extension model where you can add on extensions, and uh, if the extensions screw things up, then you know you can, you can take them out. But they keep adding feature, you know, that, that feature creep. Where they yep. keep adding things instead to the main system instead of just making it uh, an add-on thing and and memory management certainly under Windows but in Linux I see it too memory management on Firefox is just out of control the longer you leave it open the more memory it consumes that is true yep it's getting rough so I hope that there is something going to to happen there that's really all I have to say about that. Okay. WebKit to win it all. (laughs) (laughs) I like Chrome OS. uh, I mean, Chrome uh, browser and Chromium. I just like Firefox better still. But uh, I was talking Reconk, but okay. Okay. (laughs) I've never used Reconk. I I am aware of its existence, but that's about it. I like it. I really do. I just wish um, it had some of the extra features that Firefox and Chrome have. Um, One of the big ones is Bookmark Sync. Um, I use the crap out of it, but. There's no way to do it that I've found yet. Well, what do you like about it over Chrome or Firefox that it well, does have? The memory management is a much better. It's it's not so much a, a creep with Reconk. I could leave Reconk open for days and never. That's because it doesn't you know, do anything, apparently. <laughs> well, no, with like 50 tabs. I could have 50 tabs in Reconk open, and it doesn't kill my my machine at all. But I put 50 tabs open in Firefox, or well, and I can't even run Chrome. So, But if I put uh, 50 tabs in Firefox, I might as well forget doing anything else. Well, if you got fifty tabs open, you what? What do you? I'm, I don't understand. I, I can't. That, this is that's a whole other show. Uh, anybody that has fifty, now you're not the only one, Chris. I just don't. Under, my mind doesn't work that way. I'm too single task driven, I guess. When I, I just fifty tabs open in any browser at one time makes me want to go wash something. <laughs> but uh, like I have fifty tabs open when I'm researching bugs. When I'm doing when I'm trying to find out what's going on with a, a machine with an infection. Because I'm not just one of those guys who will, who will you know, nuke and pave everything. Uh, Amen. I, Even though you came I, up with the phrase, you're not the only one. <laughs> you don't do it. There's a- but I, I made up, yeah, I, I didn't coin the phrase, but yeah, I do nuke and pave a lot. But there's a lot of times where I'll sit down and I'm like, okay, I know what this bug is. I want to actually know where the bug came from or how it works. And so I'll start researching that bug just to learn how it works to be able to defend it better. Amen. The way I work uh, is I will routinely have 10 to 12 browsers or tabs open in one browser instance and then another browser instance with several. I I tend to group my browser instances. So if this topic will have these tabs and this topic will have these tabs. And then um, Sean used to laugh at me about this when we worked together. When I'm done with whatever I'm doing, I close the browser. And so it's not uncommon for me to have no browser open at all. And and Sean used to laugh what? at me. Yeah, what's what's with that? He would he would go weeks, months without ever closing his browser. So that browser that memory leak really ate him up. 
but it doesn't really bother me that much because I close the browser 15 or 20 times a day. When I'm done with what I'm doing, I close it. No yeah. way. <laughs> I know. It's heresy. So, Chris, tell be. us about the uh, the myth, the legend, the, the rumor of an Ubuntu TV. Because I like well, the way you say Ubuntu. Yeah. You I mean you want me to say it properly or do you want me to say it the way I do it? <laughs> Well, as Aaron anyway, says, I'm all about being doing things the right way. <laughs> exactly. Well, Ubuntu, haha, um, as uh, being re- reported by the the Monkeyware website, which is ha- supposedly a, a decent open source Linux magazine, um, is saying that there's going to be a Ubuntu TV announced at CES 2012, and they have some uh, mockups on their website and some quotes from. Um, the canonical CEO saying that they're, they're, we're launching some new products. And, and I don't know if this is going to be an actual thing, but it makes sense with the way they're, they're in it with Unity because it looks like, you know, maybe not a phone system, but I could see that type of a um, graphical UI on a TV. Yeah, when so, you're using the remote to navigate it, Unity makes a lot of sense. It does. It makes a lot of, it makes even more sense than a touch. Well, and when you're on a netbook, Unity makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I tell me, guys, what do you feel about the whole smart TV thing in general? I don't get it. I, I want my TV to, um, you know, watch TV, and if it could if it could play media files, that would be a bonus. But the whole app thing and and internet connectivity, I'm I'm just not down with that yet because I think, like I was saying earlier with the with the Roku or those sort of things, a computer will always do it better. And and I I just don't understand why you would want to do something poorly. My thing is that I'm usually trying to do, you know, I just said I don't multitask a lot. I really do. But I'm usually using my computer to do something and watching TV. Right. So for, so to put computer functionality in my television is I'm not going to use it very often. I mean, I'm watching a movie or watching whatever on the television, and I've got my laptop working in front at the same time. Now, if I could have boxy-like software built into my TV where I hook up a drive with all my media files and just browse to them, that would be awesome and a half. I would, I would like that. But, you know, having like the Android market on my TV doesn't appeal to me. You well, want to pay also, a two-inch size uh, Angry Birds? <laughs> no, I really don't want to. <laughs> but also look at it this way. You know, if with people more and more consuming media via the net rather than cable satellite or over the air it is a way for the television hardware ecosystem to maintain relevance so you know but again they have to do it a lot better than anybody has yet all you have to do for that is get a laptop with hdmi cable right and anything that you're going to consume via the internet you can just plug your laptop up to the tv if you want to i used to do that a bunch actually i used a vga cable had a 25-foot VGA cable and 25-foot audio cable, ran around the corner of the side of the living room to my recliner, and you know people would come over and be like, "We had," and that was before I had a device that had Netflix, like the Wii. I would just pull Netflix up on my laptop, throw it up on the screen, we'd watch it, or I'd pull up YouTube videos, throw them up there, or or whatever, you know. That was just the way I did it. Yeah, and that's that's what I was saying about having my own little media PC behind the television. There, I have all I have all that functionality plus, but I understand we're not the average consumers but then again do the average consumers want an ubuntu tv i gotta think this is targeted at geeks anyway 
and and they're probably missing. I, you know, I'm de- denigrating the thing I've never seen, and we don't even know if it really exists. But you know, stipulating I, that I it does. they'll sell it to fifty percent of their twelve potential buyers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you know, when it, the first Media Center edition came out for XP, everybody thought it was just like nobody would ever want that. And granted, the first one was pretty bad, but then when they came out with the next, you know. Then the second and third generations got a lot better, and now, I mean, I've never used one, but now apparently it's pretty good, the experience you can get with a media center television, you know, but so it's one of those, it's probably not good now, but if you look at it, it has an investment that will bear fruit in a generation or two. I wonder, though, how many heavy media consumers, and that's clearly who this market is is for, don't already have some other devices hooked up to their television, an Xbox or a Wii or a PlayStation that have those capacities. So it's it's just adding a redundancy. I have a Wii and an Xbox, so I've got uh, Netflix out the wazoo. Plus, I've got my, the the media center PC I've got connected. So I have three devices all connected to my TV that can do Netflix. So now I get a TV that can also do Netflix. I, I'm not really seeing the big deal there. You're but down, when you I'm, use your TV to do Netflix, then that they're also getting your demographic data on what you do. And so then they're able to better target their advertising to you and package your consumer data with millions of other consumer datas and have a residual income stream off of you. Right. And that's better for me. How it, if you <laughs> don't buy the product, you are the product. <laughs> so. I'll tell you what I would be interested in buying and, and it's probably out there and I'm just ignorant of it. Cause I don't, I don't research this kind of stuff very much. I would love to have a, uh, TiVo type device, DVR, whatever we call it, that integrates totally with my media. I don't know if TiVo, the newest versions of TiVo, can do that or not. So I could record, you know, this whole season of Bones, every episode, and then file it away in a folder to be able to retrieve it when I want it, as opposed to the eighty percent that I get with my with my AT and T UVerse DVR that says, you know, or that eighty gig or whatever I get that it, it fills up and it's full. What you, you want know, is a Myth TV box. That's yeah, exactly want. what that does. They're expensive to build because you got to have tuners, and they don't work very well with satellite or with uh, anything other than basic cable. But, so it doesn't uh, really work still then. Is what you're yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but that's the promise of it. And, and yeah, I want one. Right. Okay, so, so that that makes sense because then then you're really getting the full benefit of the television part of it. Right. You know, you can save off episodes of Friends and Seinfeld and stick them in a folder. If you want to go watch an episode of Seinfeld, you just go watch it. Yeah. And uh, there are things that uh, will back up. I mean, TiVo specifically allows you to save things off of the TiVo hard drive so you can back those up. Yeah. Um, but, again, it's it's all a lot of work. And I, I don't think companies want you to do that. I think they want um, you to not have old episodes of I Love Lucy. I don't understand why. Honestly, they produced it, they aired it, they wanted you to consume it, but now that it's aired, they don't want you to have it anymore. Because they're not making any money off of you if you're not watching the fresh new stuff. I guess. Yeah, there's no ad revenue. But, I mean, they've already got all the ad revenue they're going to get. They're not going to get any more ad revenue off of it. Well, it will if you're watching reruns of it. I guess. Maybe. So, anyway. um, (laughs) Gnome 3.3.3. Game changing or just more crap? Chris and uh, Chris Neves, what do you think? 
Well, that's the question. Um, it hasn't been out yet, so or at least not. I don't think it has been out yet. Let me check the notice. Um, well, that and I also don't have it because it. I don't. I quit running GNOME, so um, it, it was it was announced December twenty sixth. So it's been released. Um, supposedly, it's got a whole bunch of rewrites, and supposedly, it's supposed to make things better. Um, I'll have to put a GNOME a version of GNOME up so I can take a look at it, but. You know, I just don't think it's going to change anything just yet. I don't see anything in the release notes that really affect the uh, the air the issues I had with GNOME. Uh, one of the things that I'm kind of curious about is this new they call it GNOME boxes, and that one kind of has me curious about it. So I actually might take a look at it to see what the heck this GNOME boxes is. It's supposed to be a way to uh, virtual machine management. So. I'll have to take a look at that because I'm I got so many virtual machines now that it's driving me crazy to try and keep track of them all. Sign them each their own tab. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's it, it, I really don't see anything different. Even in any of the uh, the GNOME three release notes, I don't see anything rewritten enough to warrant me to install anything. I just think it's a bunch more crap. Okay. And, uh, you know, nobody really knows because it doesn't exist yet, but uh, there's a good possibility. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. A lot of our audience isn't into servers, and the ones who are uh, probably already know this, but there's a uh, serverwatch.com had a neat article about seven best servers for Linux. And the only reason I really put this in there is because their number one uh, company it's called System76, and I bet a lot of people have never heard of System76. And System76 is a primarily online. I don't know if they have a storefront, but a primarily online a store where you can buy uh, computers. Um, you can buy, and they're, they come with pre-installed with Linux. I have bought uh, three System76 servers at my business, and they also have uh, laptops and desktops. And I think they were a tip of mine a while back. Okay. Um, but they're they're a great company. Uh, I highly recommend them, and they're usually in on the server side. They generally tend to be less expensive than the major ones, so they're cheap. They're designed for and come pre-installed with Linux. So if you're planning on doing Linux, that's the way to go. And then the next are Dell, HP, IBM, the the usual. But uh, I just uh, I'll put the link in there if you want to see all seven of them. But I wanted to highlight System seventy six really quickly. Cool. Well, I, I think the next machine I buy from is going to be System76 if I need a Linux box, just in general. Yeah. I like them. Okay, and next uh, thing is uh, Mint, Linux Mint, one of our favorite distributions, has picked up a, a, a quote-unquote major sponsor. Uh, it's a German company called Blue Systems uh, that deals primarily with uh, software, but they have decided they're going to partner with Linux and they're going to work on... Um, bringing KDE further. They, uh, like so many other people, Linux uh, Mint has sort of soured on the whole GNOME desktop environment, and uh, they're working on moving KDE further, and uh, with this uh, partnership with Blue Systems, they're going to have money, and they're going to have backing, and they're going to have an organizational structure to do that. I hope that means good things in the future. Me too. Um, I hope they're... Linux Mint in their KDE version actually makes it to to bear this time instead of being stillborn. Right, because right now they they have a KDE version, but it's it's behind 
their gnome version by uh, two versions right and it's not uh not well supported so that that uh, bodes well for kde lovers out there until i you know at least for me until i decide to jump ship again and move to a new uh, desktop environment which we talk about what, later next week yeah <laughs> maybe <laughs> Uh, let's see. What's next on the list? Uh, I have here covered Mendrivia. my notes in 74 windows. Uh, uh, investor infighting may kill Mandriva. Mandriva has become an also-ran in the Linux world, but it used to be a front-runner with, uh, back when it was Mandrake Linux and then later when it uh, became Mandriva because they got sued by the comic book people. Um but uh, Mandriva, I put this in here because I, it holds a special place in my heart because my first ever experience with desktop desktop Linux was Mandrake. And I like their, a lot of the way they do things in a lot of ways. Uh, but they just they kept lagging behind. And now apparently there's um, the capitalists who fund it or uh, venture capitalists who are funding it uh, um, are having a disagreement. And one of them has done a procedural thing that will block all the funding for 2012 and pretty much kill the project. So uh, I just, if they don't get that uh, fixed, um, long live Mandriva. Yeah, no kidding. That's too bad to hear that the, you know, somebody's going to do the whole, I'm taking my ball and going home thing, but such is life in the Linux world. Yeah. Any other comments on that guys? I've never used it. So I don't really, I mean, yeah, there's no reason you would use it in the last five to eight years, but ten years ago they were they were the the, the top two. There was uh, Red Hat and Mandriva, and yeah, uh, they the were, choice was between those two. They were the king, They were the the cats meow there for a long time, but yeah. and Red they, Hat they just was the fell geek, off. Red Hat was the geek version, and Mandriva was the uh, the um, non geek version. It was a lot easier to use. It was a lot prettier, and Red Hat didn't care much about pretty. So yeah. So there you go, just a, a blast from the past. Uh, the next one, uh, actually, two of us put in the notes here. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit there. The one lap per child, one laptop per child, OLPC, is rumored to be revealing uh, an, an XO3 tablet at CES this month, next week, uh, what, starting tomorrow. As of the recording date, so um, they're, theoretically they're going to have one lap per child, one laptop per child version of the iPad, right? Hmm. And it's supposed to be inexpensive, though they won't say much else about it. The article I read said it will be priced at one hundred dollars or less. So, what kind of piece of crap is that going to be? <laughs> I had uh, uh, a one month, I think it was trial. With the original OLPC, the the hundred dollar sub hundred dollar laptop, and it was crap. <laughs> it had a crappy processor in it. The OS was clunky. Uh, it was just not very good. And I understand if you're, um, you know, in South Africa and dirt poor, um, it's awesome. But they tried to sell it to geeks, and that's mm-hmm. where they failed miserably. And if you're at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, you're not selling to South African tribesmen. You're trying to sell it to American consumerisms, con- consumers, um, and it better be a whole lot better than the original uh, OLPC. Now, is that still running on a, a sugar install? Actually, this one will uh, it will be able to run Android, 
um, or other Linux operating systems. But they haven't said what the default OS is going to be. It's I think it's going to be theirs still. The one at CES will be Android, Android according okay. to the article I read. We must have looked at two different articles. Yeah, I was on the Muckware site. Okay. Is the one I found. So I think that'll be interesting. Uh, I hope I mean the the prospect of a hundred dollar tablet that's actually useful, you know, that's what everybody's been been trying to get. And uh, there are several Chinese manufacturers who've made Android tablets for a hundred ish dollars. And all the ones India seen, has one for like thirty five. Right. And all the ones I've seen are just really not very good at all. What we all want is an iPad. We want a Lexus of, of tablets for a hundred bucks. And uh, while I don't think that's going to happen, it's a nice thing to dream about. Everyone wants Minority Report. The whole, I, you know, little idea where you have your your notebook right in your hand. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw a funny post um, on one of the social networks, and it was, "Can we all stop arguing about patents and just give it to Gene Roddenberry and admit, admit he invented all this?" <laughs> I like that. You know, that was actually, um, I think it was HTC's, one of their arguments in one of their patent infringement case against Apple is, look, this device we made looks remarkably, or Apple's device looks remarkably like something that was in 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was, I mean, that wasn't what they did their whole legal defense right. on, but that was a portion of their legal defense. Well, is, yeah, Apple's look, argument was, you made a tablet that's square and has a glass front, therefore you owe us money. What? Right. Makes me think of uh, that... Uh, Star Trek, um, which one is it? Uh, First Contact, when the the lady that gets ends up on the ship with Picard, and uh, he takes finally takes the phaser from her, says, "You know, it was set on the highest setting. It would have disintegrated me." And she says, "It's my first ray gun." <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> yeah. Star Trek First Contact, one of the best ones, I think. Of this, I movie. think so too. And then uh, this one is actually an old story, sort of made new. Uh, Munich, the city of Munich. Uh, migrated all of their machines to Linux and OpenOffice and things like that. And they've sort of released the uh, results as, uh, where they are right now. And it's interesting, uh, they did admit that it wasn't as smooth as they had hoped and that it cost them a little more than they hoped, but uh, that they uh, overall think it was a, a very worthwhile project. Yeah, they've... Well, that's uh, good to hear. Yeah, I thought it was... I, you know, I just... It's always nice to read about, you know, hey, look, Linux can make it in the IT department, but it's kind of one of those, you know, why does Microsoft have such a foothold? Because the people at the very top bought into it, and so everyone under them has no choice. So when people at the top buy into something, you can make it happen. Yeah. What I appreciate about this is that they were very honest about both the shortcomings and the benefits of it. And they, you know, admitted training, they under woefully underestimated the amount of training they were going to need. And that there were some uh, software things they had to totally rewrite from the ground up because they wouldn't work. But in the end, this has been a six or seven year project. Eight year. Eight year. Okay. In the end, they they agree that it was worthwhile, and they agree that going forward, uh, it will be sustainable and uh, money saving and um, um, vendor proof. So it's a it's a neat article worth the read. And yeah. definitely worth the uh, the to show your upper management people that yes, this is doable. Yeah, I mean, you know, when a when an entire city says, "Hey, this is what we're going to do," you know, it's not somebody out of their garage saying, right. "You can make Linux work." Right, and uh, you know, it's not 
the city of Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. It's a real city. It's it's. Uh, I just insulted everybody in Moose Jaw. It's a large city. It's a major metropolitan city. It's the city of Munich. Well, so the, the, the on the flip side of that though is they probably were as successful at it because of their size. They right. can afford to hire some people who actually know what they're doing. You know, Moose Jaw is not going to have a high-level Linux programmer able to customize or fix any kind of bugs that they run into or anything like that. I'm just guessing. But also because it's all open source, we can all take advantage of the work they did. So that's a nice thing, too. Mm-hmm. Except it's in German. That's the only problem. Huh? <laughs> yeah. We'll have to find somebody in Moose Jaw who speaks Rebooten German. Rebooten the computer. <laughs> it's so funny how many times that actually works. I had oh, yeah. three times at work this week where I struggled and struggled and finally just said, have you tried rebooting? Rebooted it, fixed it. Tonight, before we started the show, Chris was having trouble with his Skype connection. We tried several different things and finally said, let me reboot, and that fixed it. It's amazing how many times a simple reboot solves everything. Well, it all goes back to my, th- my three R's of computer repair. Everybody has their own. Minor, my three are reboot, reinstall. If neither one of those work, then run away. <laughs> get out of the room. Let somebody else deal with it. Reboot, reinstall, run away. Always, yeah. 100% of the time, will be effective. But not all of us have the option to run away. Sometimes we're the last. The the, the line must be drawn here. Oh, me person. too. <laughs> the line must be drawn here. That's right. No further. <laughs> to go back to the same movie. Same movie, exactly. If his cat chest had been a cannon, he would have fired his hump upon it. What? Uh, I never actually read the book. <sighs> so anyway. Um, and the next one, a desktop Linux market share has a growth of about 50%. Yeah, I don't buy this sort of stuff, honestly. No, no, it it went from point nine six to one point four one, so it grew by fifty percent. So, uh, you know, and granted, I mean that's that's not much, but it did grow by about fifty percent over. That's over last year. As much as I would like to see desktop Linux take over the world, I just don't think it's ever ever going to happen. This is a good case study in statistics, though. I mean, this is so atypical that, you know, Linux gained 50%. uh, Apple gained, what, only 20%, less than 20%, and Microsoft. But Microsoft only fell, you know, 0.9%. I don't even know what, I'm just not even doing the math on that one. But if you do raw percentages of the population, uh, number of users and some raw numbers, it's going to be a whole different story. Linux actually grew the least. I've said that on this show before, that anytime somebody presents their finding in percentages, they're trying to hide something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, and granted, I just, you know, it's a year-end story that the market, whereas for 2011, it was basically flat for the entire year. Or, I'm sorry, for 2010, it was flat for the entire year. For 2011, it edged upward slightly. <laughs> so we went from <laughs> just under 1% to just under 1.5%. Yeah. Right. You know, and if it grows by 50% a year in 10 years, we're talking about real numbers. Well, if you're talking about 100 million desktop computers in the United States, and I know there's more than that, we're talking about 100 million and it went up a half a percent, that's, that's 50 million. That's, that's, no, that's 5 million. That's a, that's a significant number. I think this show is fully responsible for that. The reason that Linux went up by 50% is we started this show in 2011. Yes. That's got to be it. Yeah. It's got to be. Somehow our average listenership of a couple of hundred went out and installed 50,000 new <laughs> Linux installations. Five million. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, hey, you never know. Canonical removing the JDK from Ubuntu. Um, I'm not sure this is a good thing or a bad thing. I've heard both uh, things about it. Yeah, um, Oracle has retired their operating system distributor license for Java, so Canonical no longer has permission to redistribute new Java packages. So in addition to removing it, they are suggesting to users migrate to the open JDK um, as soon as possible. So, you know, it's just one of those that Oracle is... I don't know. They're just trying to screw everyone. Uh, It's really not that big a deal because on Windows and on Mac, you've had to go download Java anyway. This just now means you have to do it under Ubuntu too. I mean, it's not not a big deal, Um, but they're trying to make it out like Oracle is being the big bad guy um, and hurting open source. It just means you have to download it. Yeah. But well, yeah, as long as they make it an yeah. easy install, then it's not a big deal. But right now, installing Java on Linux is not easy. Yeah, uh, what they're going to do is they're going to push an, uh, basically an empty package out. So that way, whenever you do your regular upgrades, it's going to um, install the new package, which will basically uninstall the old package. Right. And um, then I'm not sure exactly whether they're also going to suggest like the open and I from reading the story I wasn't able to really tell is it Java or just like the uh, Java development kit for people who program for Java my understanding it's just the JDK it's not right. the virtual machine that's a different thing altogether right so the vast majority of end users won't care but then again um most people who use Linux are developers, so it, it's going to hit the Linux community harder than it would hit the Windows world. Right, and if you know, if not developers, you know, we're more technically aware than the average user. So, hmm. but so anyway, there's some news for you. Okay, let's see. And the last one, it looks like uh, AVG antivirus now available for Android. Yes, in the Android App Store. Um, you know, there's been news stories about the App Store's Wild West lack of security nature, which it has been overblown because it's basically, it's the same thing as if you go and download a program from somewhere on the Internet for your Windows computer rather than through Microsoft or something. It may or may not be bad. Most of them are okay. But now... In the official Android marketplace, AVG has a product for sale, much like when you go to AVG's website on your computer, you can buy their software for a Windows machine. You can now buy their software for your Android-powered device. And he actually um, went through and purchased it on his phone. And what he said is the one purchase enabled him to download it on both his phone and his tablet even though there was a, a different tablet-only version that cost more money. And it wasn't just like antivirus. It was actually security. And the things that highlighted him on were actually he already knew about because he had rooted his phone, just, I guess, you know, for testing or whatever. And so it actually found security issues, but he's the one who made them, so he was aware of them. And, I question uh, how effective this can be because Android is so heavily sandboxed that apps – don't get a lot of cross information from each other. So I wonder how effective it can be at scanning things when in when it doesn't have access. Well, yeah, but uh, remember the whole um, 
what was the name of the company for that supposedly you know tracks all the stuff you do on your phone um it's able to tell you stuff like that as well so again i don't know how you know you're right i don't know whether it will be effective or not but it will be effective at getting five dollars out of some people it will be very effective at that so if it enables them to continue their free version for my uh, windows machine i'm all (laughs) for it (laughs) okay and to round out the show Chris is going to tell us his thoughts on his Kindle Fire now that he's had it for almost two months. So I've had a lot of people come up and ask me about it because I have had it for so long around my neck of the woods. And a lot of people are asking me how it compares to the Nook. And then I always say, well, before you buy either one, are you an Amazon person already or are you not? Because that's what it boils down to. If you're already in the Amazon marketplace to buy things, then go with the then go with the fire. Then there's no reason not to, especially if you like the way Amazon handles your digital media and the way they handle their books. Um, if you're not in either market, then it comes down to how much are you willing to pay for each book? Because there is a price difference between the fire's prices and the Nook's prices. It's not much, but there is a little bit of a difference. Um, so my recommendation is if you're in the Amazon market, go with the Fire. If you're in the Barnes & Noble market, go with the Nook. They, they are compa- they're comparable when you sit down with each of them. Um, I love my Fire. I use it, for, I use it probably for at least two hours every day. Um, it hasn't failed me yet. There are a couple little hiccups that compared to uh, when I first got it that I've seen. Uh, but some of them have been fixed by software upgrades. Uh, the biggest one was the carousel thing. Um, the latest re- update that the uh, Amazon people released gives you the option to remove items from the carousel, which is nice. But uh, that's as far as I can tell. I love my fire. Purchase the fire if you're an Amazon person and drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people comparing and contrasting the Kindle Fire and the iPad and saying it doesn't stack up here, it doesn't stack up there. And I think what's important to keep in mind is that the Kindle Fire is a device that allows you to more easily purchase things from Amazon. That's what it's designed to be. Yeah, it's basically your store. Instead of going to the store, you now walk around with the store. And it does some web browsing and some ebook reading on the side. But it's a it's a purchasing device that you buy, pay for, which is nice. Well, and but the book reading part of it is the flagship. I right. mean, um, I've read probably I think I'm at seven books through it now, seven eight books, and it it reads a book really nice. Um, the only thing I, it's one of the little bugs that I have with it is I wish you could change the color of the text, not just the background. Um, right now they give you the option of black text on a white screen. Black text on a beige screen and white text on a black screen. I wish there's a way to change, like when you go to the like nighttime viewing, it would go to a black screen and you could change the color of the text so it's not so immensely contrasting. I mean, it it almost hurts your eyes when you look at this thing in, in low light settings. Okay, now, is this a is this a backlit screen? Because I'm not familiar with the, with the fire too much, or is it a e ink? It is a, it is a backlit. It's just like looking at a computer monitor. Yeah. Um, 
the other thing that is kind of weird is when you look at the dis- when you try to change the display brightness, like the last twenty percent of the bar doesn't do anything. You hit the twenty percent mark, and then that from there to zero is the same brightness. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's uh, just a glitch in the way the the brightness control is, or if there's actually a reason why they don't let you go any dimmer. So does the Amazon Fire Kindle Fire and the Nook Color are they the competitors? And the original yes. Kindle and the Nook are the competitors. That the uh, I would say the new Nook that you see on the TV with uh, the person from Glee yeah, that's and the color. Kindle, <laughs> yeah, the Nick Color and the Kindle Fire are, you know, the, they are the competitors between the two. But if you compare like uh, the Kindle readers, which is the e-ink. Um, they are a book reader. I mean, that's all they are. Yeah, that's what my wife has, a, the Nook. You see, the, I think the Nook, the original Nook with the, the way they do their, their display and the way the Kindle Reader does their display, I think the Kindle Reader wins. Because the Kindle Reader, the, the, it's, it's like looking at a piece of paper. Yeah, the, the, the Nook's similar, too. It's, I mean, it's the eating technology where you have to have a light because it is not backlit at all. It's to flip the pixel. You know, battery lasts for a month. Or more, yeah. uh, depending on how much you, how many pages you're turning. Uh, but it also does. It has a few little apps on it. You know, my wife plays Sudoku on it, and it does have a, a rudimentary browser. It actually has a touchscreen down at the bottom. But I mean, there's enough. You can go Google. A bajillion people have compared them side by how side. How many zeros every is that? Bajillion. Yes. It's a Google Google. Wow, that's a lot of zeros. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed. He actually knows the what a bajillion is. Because <laughs> I didn't. And no facts on this show are subject to checking. <laughs> <That's right>. so, <laughs> Filed it under stuff Aaron made up. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I had a uh, a Nook, one of the original ones, and I mean, I don't know, the whole e-reader thing. I just, it wasn't my cup of tea. I ended up donating mine to a school. Um, okay. All right. So I guess that covers our, our uh, e-reader roundup. So, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, we're, we're over an hour here already. So we need to go ahead and wrap up and move on to our, um, longstanding tips of the week. I, I was afraid that we might try to kill those in 2010, but I see that there are two down there and I'm happy to see that. So Chris, what is our command line tip of the week? Well, this is going to play off of one that we used before. Um, the LS command is if, if you're a, a Linux command line, Godfather, or even a Linux command line noob the ls command is a giant one in your in your toolbox this one is ls usb and it's similar to the one i said before about ls uh, pci but this one is just pulling your usb devices so anything plugged into a usb port will be scanned by this and it will be told you know more information about it um I used it today to figure out what model my scanner is to see if I could actually find a driver for it. And I got a whole bunch of information that I didn't realize was that I didn't realize that there were USB parts. Like my Bluetooth dongle that is built into my laptop is not PCMIC, it's it's a USB driven. And I didn't know that. So it was nice to find out that, huh, I now have a I had a USB Bluetooth that I didn't use but I now have access to. I have used that uh, several times when, like, I'm plugging in an external hard drive and it doesn't show up. 
you want to see if that's like a partition problem or a formatting problem, uh, LSUSB will tell you, did it register that you actually plugged in a piece of hardware? Yep. So that's very handy. It's just a nice little thing, a tool to have in your pocket. Okay. So, uh, Seth, what is our end user tip of the week? Well, if you are like probably a lot of people our age, you have maybe up in your attic or out in your garage an old S, a Super Nintendo or a Sega Genesis. If you want a way to play those old ROM cartridges on your PC, this works in Linux as well as Windows. Um, but is it, it is a device that connects to your computer that you plug your cartridge in and then you can play your games through your computer uh, legally. Whereas I know there are ROMs out there for most of those games. And if you physically have the cartridge, it's okay for the for you to do them. But, you know, it's one of those things that there's a lot of people who do it and side skirt and don't care about the legal ramifications, but this is a way to legally play those on your PC. And, uh, the link will be in the show notes. Um, but anyway, I thought it was pretty cool when I ran across it today. So I decided to share it with our listeners. A couple of notes doesn't actually exist yet. Um, it, currently available for pre-order shipments will likely begin January 23rd. Right. It's, so, I mean, I, I figured it's one of those things where it, it has to be ready if it's going to be shipping in. But um, and it's just a matter of, you know, they're waiting until their official launch date. But it also works with your original controllers as well. Um, that's one of the cool things about if it. You, you still don't have, have those laying around. Yeah, you don't have to. Well, if you have a Genesis or an, a Super Nintendo, it may or may not connect to your brand new television. So, you know. Rather than buying an adapter to go into the adapter to go into the adapter to connect to this, you can simply connect this to your computer. I actually threw away my Atari 2600 this weekend. That oh been man, a, been in my mom's attic for 20 years, and it wasn't working when we put it up there 20 years ago. <laughs> I would have paid you eight bucks for that. Yeah, that's what I figured. <laughs> I looked online; the controllers were going brand new in the box for like 4.95. Yeah. So. So, uh, speaking of price, the uh, current street price of this thing is $85 US. So, if you just have a hankering to play Mega Man again, uh, there's your opportunity. Buying pesos. I love Mega Man. <laughs> or Metroid or uh, the old Mario. All right, guys. Anything else before we wrap up this show? I hope everyone has a great new year. I have to go back to work tomorrow. Happy New Year's. Enjoy your last year on Earth. That's right. Happy 2012, where the Mayans has predicted we will all die in flamely violent deaths. Either Um, that, or he just quit his job before he made the next calendar. One of the two. (laughs) Or he ran out of space. You know, the whole 32-bit thing. It could be that somebody went, you know, 3,000 years, that's far enough. I'll make another calendar some other time. Maybe that's a possibility. Or they can just flip it over and see the next 3,000. <laughs> Nobody saw today. Yeah. Has anybody checked the back of this? That's funny. All right. So uh, if you want more information about all of us and our goofiness, or if you want to contact us and uh, let us know what you think, uh, you can do that at elementop.com. I will say we are pleading, begging for your feedback. We put this show together roughly nine and a half seconds before we hit record. Uh, we're running out of material. If you want to give us a show topic, no, let me rephrase that. 
if you want future show topics, you're going to have to provide them because we're tapped out. We're done. This is episode 34. 34 times we've come up with content. Come on, people. You're slacking. Do your part, will you? <laughs> <laughs> and we know you're out there. You're listening to us somewhere. Or at least Help. downloading it, if nothing else. So, anyway. Elmanopi.com, that's the place to do that. Do it in the forum. Send me send us an email through the contact form or even leave us a voicemail that we will play on the show at uh elementopi.com. And so on behalf of my guests, my friends, my fellow co-host, I would simply say that that ends this episode of Everyday Linux.